Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem. Uh, this is Powers in Play, our monthly program looking at the global issues. And uh, we have, uh, as always, a stellar panel, uh, starting with retired Major General Gershon Cohen, Reserve Colonel Ruven Ben Shalom, Reserve Brigadier General Daron Gavish, and a former Foreign Ministry and National Security Staff uh, Senior Official Welcome to all of you. Welcome. So uh, President uh, Joe Biden has just uh, turned 80. He is still going strong, at least politically. We may even send him a TV7 mug um, if uh, the um, airlift capacity is still what it was when you two were um, on the Air Force uh, staff. And uh, more recently, a few days ago, um, here on TV7, we have interviewed retired um, Marine Corps General Frank McKenzie, the uh, former CENTCOM commander. He just retired uh, last uh, April. And um, mm. there were some very interesting observations. Let's hear one of them, please. So if you're going to be a global power, and the United States is a global power, you have to think globally. You, you no longer have the luxury of thinking purely regionally. And as our, for, as our capacity advantage over potential foes has eroded, fewer things compared to those that the Chinese can produce and that the Russians throw into the field, uh, those, though you have to be very smart on where you position your forces and how you use your forces. So, look, I, I completely agree with the idea that China is the long-term facing threat for the United States. Their words, their language, the, the things they're doing are of great concern to us. So we need to we need to be on watch for that. Russia right now is a profoundly threatening short-term problem, and it may morph into a longer-term problem. I don't know the answer to that. But they have a significant nuclear capability, and you always have to respect capability. I believe, though, that we still have vital interests in this region, regions with friends like Israel and other partners in the region. We have a, we have a strategic interest in the free flow of commerce, through the Strait of Hormuz, through the Bab el-Mandeb, through the Suez Canal, that's going to require that we remain in the region. We also have committed to Iran not producing a nuclear weapon. Look, we're going to have to be smart and nimble as we balance our forces. But at the same time, I think it's important that we assure our friends in the region that the United States is going to remain around and be here for the long haul. So, um, General McKenzie, who is a very um, uh, likable and forthcoming uh, person, was referring to the fact that uh, all three uh, recent American administrations, Obama, Trump, now Biden, have pivoted from the Middle East uh, to the Far East. 
And um, the very command which Mackenzie uh, commanded until recently, the Central Command, was set up in the early 1980s uh, because of uh, several developments there. But obviously now the emphasis uh, is shifting first to China, then to Russia, and only uh, down the list um, the Middle East remains with um, the uh, observations that he made regarding the need to reassure allies and the like. So the uh, dilemma here is between the important and the immediate. The immediate is obviously Russia and Ukraine. The important is China. How do you, General, and you have been uh, in charge of planning and doctrine and the uh, National Security College and other positions, how do you balance uh, the needs, first of all, to be ready to fight tonight with the uh, knowledge that maybe tonight and tomorrow night will pass without any event and you may find yourself um, short of um, forces and readiness when the real test comes? Actually, uh, we are facing this dilemma not only in the crisis of war, but also in exercises. And the dilemma is exemplified at the moment that chief of staff telling the government that problem I will be able to solve much better in the following years, not now. But then uh, he is demanded to follow it uh, now as it is in the right, uh, right now conditions. And the gap is clear. Uh, regarding the... American uh, troubles of CENTCOM, first of all, we must emphasize that there are new advantages with the cooperation of uh, IDF and all the Israeli security forces with uh, CENTCOM. It is really creating a huge change in the operational effectiveness of uh, the American forces and Israeli. The relocation from the European command, UCOM, yeah. which is dual-headed with NATO, to CENTCOM. Exactly. And what really is important is not only the stability of Jordan, Israel, Egypt, etc. What is really on stake is the freedom of uh, ships in the seas like the Red Sea, the Arab Seas, all that are really threatening by Iran, maybe by other uh, collaborators with Iran, the American Navy in this arena is very, very important. It means that right now the active challenge is here. The following challenge maybe will be in China, in the Pacific Ocean, but the real uh, active challenge is here. And that's exactly what you emphasize, the tension between right now and the future. Eranetsun, how uh, does it look from the civilian side of the uh, national security mechanism in Israel? Um, because, as uh, Gershon uh, says, what is uh, less important, uh, priority-wise, for a superpower um, does not look the same for whoever lives here and is facing immediate threats. Well, these uh, statements by the former general, they're not new. They're a reflection of successive strategies of successive administrations since... We are very proud of this interview. Don't, don't uh, <laughs> cut it down. With all due respect. 
to the interviewer and the interviewee. Um, they're not new and they follow a long line of strategies uh, of successive administrations. And uh, they are very much true to form in terms of the deep understanding of America's real interests globally and regionally. And they lie exactly where uh, General portrayed them. They are first and foremost in China. Russia is somewhat of a strategic surprise because of the Ukrainian issue. Uh, I don't think there was an, uh, a real deep understanding of the probability of, of such an invasion. Yes, in the months leading to it, the American intelligence system did see it and did give the, the uh, right alerts and so on. But, you know, a year prior or two years prior, prior nobody really foresaw it. So Russia is something of, a, again, an, an enigma in, in that respect. And China is becoming more and more of an enigma because of the Chinese uh, shifts in strategy. Uh, we don't have the time to elaborate on that, but China shifted essentially from a posture that was very much uh, into, um, I don't want to say, um, you know, warm relations with the U.S., but integration into the global system in the Obama days and, and afterwards. And with the emphasis on defense of the homeland, the Chinese homeland. Yes, mm -hmm. and, and there was a certain shift. And now the Chinese uh, apparently opted for a different strategy, which I think the U.S. and Israel uh, do not yet fully understand because of the obvious difficulties of really deciphering what's going on in China. So on that level, I think we have an, an understanding of, of who's who in the book in terms of the, the global power play. In terms of the where does the Middle East fit in all of this and Israel fits in all of this, again, the, the reality is not new. Uh, the, the Middle East is less and less important. Yes, paradoxically or not, with the new situation in Ukraine, there is, a, with the shifts in the energy markets, there is, again, uh, somewhat of renewed importance to this region, but I think it's temporary. And the long-term uh, trends did not change. And uh, our region is becoming less and less significant. Um, and, and the Israelis don't like it. Uh, for many years, they have tried to kind of cling to the U.S. and, and virtually and even physically pull it back into the region. Uh, I hope there is a realization that that's a strategy, this strategy is not going to work, but I'm not sure. Ruven, um, Ran says that it's uh, difficult to decipher the Chinese, but uh, fortunately we have a cross-cultural strategist here in your person. <laughs> and uh, you noted, um, among uh, other items, that following the meeting between uh, President Biden and uh, his Chinese <laughs> counterpart, Xi, the um, uh, reactions in Washington and in Beijing uh, were not identical. Could you elaborate? Well, I think it's interesting because in Israel, we're used to always trying to figure out what the government wants, what's the policy, because it's not written anywhere. It's vague. It's political. Uh, yet some world entities clearly say what they mean or say what they want us to think that they mean. <laughs> and it's interesting because the Chinese stated very clearly after, after the past meeting. The inscrutable uh, Chinese they were, were they, more... They explicitly come out. Now, it's fascinating to read what they say because their rhetoric is beautiful. I think we can all subscribe to everything that they preach there, right? Peace, harmony, harmony and collaborating. Of course, veering away from any kind of confrontation. We and the Americans, we the Chinese. And the the Americans regarding Taiwan. Have to work hand in hand, of course. And, and it's almost like you see there, they're... This fear of any kind of conflict it's like, or like octopuses, hand in hand, in hand, in hand, in hand. Yes. <laughs> so, 
And what's interesting is I, sp I speak to also plain or simple Chinese businessmen coming to Israel, and you see that these are powerful sentiments. It's almost like, what do they want from us, the Americans? Why do they speak, to, speak about us as rivals? Uh, we, we should be partners in commerce, etc. So it's beautiful, beautiful rhetoric. Yet at the, uh, at the end, each country or each uh, power now has its interests and it promotes it in, its interests. I think we can respect the fact that the Chinese promote their interests very vigorously, right? They have a long-term plan. They say what they plan to do and they do it, right? Their Belt and Road Initiative, they're steaming ahead. It's unbelievable. The resources, the commitments... But yet you see also in the rhetoric some, some, some points like Taiwan, it's like just this line you do not cross. Like Americans, so, if you so, cross that line, then we'll, all hell will break loose. So when, when Biden uh, sums up um, <clears throat> his wish and um, obviously the American policy that they want uh, China to adopt to, no new Cold War. The Absolutely. Chinese will subscribe to that as long as you accept our demands. Yep. There's no need for any war, cold or otherwise. Right. And I think the Chinese also are adopting what President Biden himself said, what they call the five no's, right? No cold war. Also sticking, adhering to the one China policy, which is interesting. Like you'd think the Americans would want to preach issues. So certainly President Biden did raise issues of humanitarian, right? Uh, human rights. But okay, he raised it. But it's not like the Americans raising this flag. And it's almost like the Chinese tell the Americans, the Americans accept we can collaborate. But don't change us. Don't preach to us. Don't change us. We are not democratic and we never will be. Doron, uh, General Gavish, uh, when the Americans uh, speak um, about translating ends into means, uh, we also had uh, General Kurila, the current uh, CENTCOM uh, commander uh, who took over from General McKenzie. He participated um, in the Manama Dialogue uh, in Bahrain. Um, a new, relatively new ritual for American uh, officials stating uh, their um, defense policy and doctrine. And he emphasized the unmanned systems um, in uh, two dimensions. First of all, what was raised here, the new naval arena uh, or newly important naval arena uh, in the CENTCOM area of responsibility, Task Force 59, where there are um, dozens, perhaps hundreds of unmanned naval vehicles with sensors um, in a broadcasting back to a command center in Bahrain or in Qatar. And then uh, you see both manned and unmanned vehicles, land, air, maritime, uh, closing in on the threat, mostly Iranian, and a new um, aerial task force, task force 99, um, in a similar vein. Can the unmanned systems uh, replace those boots on the ground um, and aircraft carriers, which are no longer going to be there? Now, from a, from a defense point of view, and also from, from the attacker point of view, I don't think that uh, it could replace. Uh, this is uh, probably another military means which are part of those, uh, this basket of uh, opportunities that the uh, CENTCOM and others have in the, in the Middle East uh, in order to deal with the, with the challenges that we see around, mainly Iran. But for sure, I don't think that it would replace um, anything that is currently happening now. 
and boots on the ground, this is something that it's still needed. It's also boots it's, on the sea. It's boots on the sea, it's boots on the ground. This is something which is also uh, needed. And, and going back to what was... Uh, we, we once had boats on the ground when one of our missile yeah. boats was grounded in Saudi Arabia. You're yeah, right. <laughs> and, uh, but but we, we, we kind of uh, made something good out of it. We, we had a lot of lessons learned out of it. And, and even relations with the Saudis that were not planned. Uh, underground, I would say, uh, relation. So, uh, and, and going back to, to your question, I think that uh, what uh, General McKenzie was uh, saying, this is really something that is echoing, and I fully agree with Iran, this is something which is echoing the U.S. Uh, policy, the U.S. strategies, and, and you devoted a, a, a TV show for this. What is the U.S. Uh, national strategy and defense strategy, like two weeks, three weeks ago? And I think that basically is really echoing it. And, and But looking from the Israeli point of view, I don't think that we should feel that we have been uh, deserted or something like this. This is completely not the situation. Uh, Gershon was right moving from, uh, General uh, Gershon was right moving from Yukon to Senkom from us. This is, this is something different. The collaboration that is happening today after the Abraham Accords within the countries in the Middle East with Israel, this is something new strategically. Uh, something new which would enhance our capabilities and our ability to defend ourselves. So But you know, the IDF <clears throat> is um, even better than UCOM and CENTCOM because it's JUCOM. Just, just <laughs> ponder it uh, for, for a second. Yeah. Now, another um, reference that uh, General McKenzie made was to the question of Iran as a threat in various uh, dimensions. And here, too, um, he uh, is seeing the distinction between the imminent or emerging and the important. And uh, note how, for him, the nuclear file is, at least right now, not the most urgent. We were talking about going back into the JICPOA, uh, reestablishing some form of a nuclear agreement. And then from the United States, Uh, our president said, then we'd like to look at ballistic missiles and proxies. Well, the Iranian response was electric, and it wasn't so much about the nuclear component as about the ballistic missiles and the proxy component, saying they will never, ever allow modification or, you know, we, we'll never negotiate to reduce these capabilities. I think we should view the crown jewel of Iranian offensive capability as those missiles, UAVs, and land attack cruise missiles. Because they pose a they pose a threat tonight, a nuclear threat. Uh, the Iranians continue to plot along. You know they could have a weapon probably pretty quick if they chose to do that. It would take them a while to deliver a to present a deliverable weapon. By that I mean something that could be weaponized and put on top of a missile or hauled in an airplane somewhere. That's going to take them a little time to do once they make the decision to do it. On the other hand, these missiles, Blackums and UAVs or available now. So, um, Gershon, um, what uh, McKenzie is saying here goes back to the so-called uh, RMA, the Revolution uh, in Military Affairs, uh, which started um, in the 90s. Uh, At um, the end of 90s. Yes, more or less. Um, we remember Andy Marshall uh, at the Department of Defense and uh, some Soviet and then Russian theoreticians. Uh, coining this. And um, what they were referring to is the sub-nuclear arena, 
which, because of uh, technological advances um, in uh, computing, uh, microcomputing, in precision weapons, and various other um, research and development uh, fields, made it possible for conventional rather than nuclear uh, weapons to be devastating almost as much as the nuclear bombs and missiles, but they are not governed by uh, the same regimes. Yes, there is the MTCR, uh, Missile Technology Control Regime, but nevertheless, <laughs> nations can uh, have an arsenal which is very little, uh, almost decisive, but be immune uh, to uh, pressures that are being put on nuclear exactly. states. So, so should Israel and other neighbors, partners, and allies of the United States be more concerned with what Mackenzie listed, ballistic and cruise missiles and unmanned aerial vehicles of various uh, sorts? We must uh, realize that all these efforts are coming to, to be combined. Uh, the nuclear effort is an umbrella under it we can find a lot of other efforts. Uh, what we can find with the Houthis in Yemen and other locations that are really more dangerous right now than the nuclear threat means that if we are too much concentrating in the nuclear uh, threat, just neglecting the other development, then we are losing. Uh, on the other side, we must take seriously the nuclear threat, but it is not isolated uh, from the other development, and we can really realize the Iranian achievements in uh, Ukraine with all these uh, drones uh, that are really effective, and they are another part of creating what you are speaking now about uh, revolution in military affairs, Iranian revolution in military affairs. Revolutionary guards in the yeah. military uh, domain. Now, offense versus defense. Your your part uh, is to shoot down these uh, threats. Uh, are you up to the task? Well, I'm not in duty, as you know, for a while. <laughs> that, that seems uh, as if you are going uh, <laughs> to... to uh, Tell us that someone else is going to be a failure for the short <laughs> yeah. yet. Well, not sure. I'm not sure this is what I will say. But uh, but this this is obviously a challenge. Uh, the the new means that uh, we see in the arena uh, do do um, uh, we do look at it as as, as a challenge that uh, we have to deal with it. Israel and uh, the other countries in the region. And yes, there are all kinds of means that are being built, by the way, not only today. This is something that we started with it uh, in the past in order to cope with those uh, challenges. Uh, but I, I must say, and I completely agree with the General Cohen, we have to look at all the threats together. It's not only this threat and let's deal with it and later with the, with the, um, with the weapons of mass destruction. We need to, today, to deny the capabilities and to deny the ability to get to this point. So the fight is not, we cannot wait with this fight. So now we have to fight on denying the capabilities, the future capabilities. And on the same time, we have to, de to deal with the new threats. And this is something that is being done in Israel and also in the region. But you are a member of the um, Air Force Chiefs Command Group. Uh, where uh, most of uh, those present uh, were fighter pilots. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Um, they had a hard time uh, getting used to the idea of unmanned aerial vehicles um, vying for resources with um, fighter jets. And now comes you, the air defense, um, Iron Dome batteries or other uh, systems, and you want uh, the same shekel or same dollar. How would you allocate funds between these three groups, manned fighters, unmanned fighters, and other systems, and ground-based air defense? Well, of course, you know, th those should be balanced between all the different means. I mean, you were talking about the commanding of the Air Force uh, being a pilot. They, you know, if you look what happened in the last 10 years within the Israeli Air Force, the amount of uh, resources that were gone to the unmanned uh, vehicles is quite amazing to see. The amount of sorties that is being uh, done by those unmanned vehicles, <clears throat> this is a huge part of what the Air Force is doing and also investing in the, in the defense. So I don't think that there is an issue of you know, being a pilot and understanding what it, what it needs to the Air Force. I think that the Air Force is really balancing between those uh, three efforts. And, uh, but we have to remember that uh, once you're dealing with these things, uh, you have to go to the military strategic level. And the military strategic level of dealing with those things is talking about attack capability because you want to deny it even before it starts or you attack that there. You want a good alert for, the, for your military means and also for the population. Uh, you want an active defense in, in order to be able to um, kinetically or other way to intercept it, and you want the passive defense because you want the shelters, and, shelters and so on. So when we're talking about this, uh, this threat, we have to look at it from this strategic point of view, and it's a combination of means, mm -hmm. attack means, defense means, and, and whatever is And all of that, Iran, as a <clears throat> former deputy head of the National Security Staff, the Air Force um, is under the IDF chief of staff, who is under the Minister of Defense, who is under the cabinet. And the national security staff is supposed to analyze uh, and recommend to the cabinet. And basically what you have um, is a decision point, whether to invest in attack assets, as Daron said, in order to shorten the war, because the enemy will feel the brunt of, of the, the campaign, or to invest in defensive capabilities such as Iron Dome, so that the population will not cry, uh, let's shorten the war. How, how is your staff work uh, going uh, in such a, a climate? I'll reply, but before that, I think there's a bigger point that needs to be made from the perspective of the new government, the national security staff, decision-making, and, and all of that. And I would quite brutally put it as follows. Iran will have and will continue to develop its capabilities, those that were discussed here and by the general and so on, the UAVs, the cruise missiles, and so on. All the more so, they are now much more in bed with the Russians and probably also with the Chinese, the North Koreans and others. And this will only accelerate their capabilities. So I don't think uh, that what Doron said is actually doable. 
we won't be able to deny these capabilities. I said we have to yeah. do everything in order to deny. And I'm not even sure about that because <coughs> if, if we if we agree that it's not so possible, let, then let why, them do it. <laughs> if it's if we agree that it's not possible, why invest in trying to deny it? You're not going to be able to deny it because so you're denying I, it. Because you are it's fighting a, it's, it. I would say it's a, it's a question. I would put a question mark on that. Okay. And and uh, if a I, civil military divide. Yes. And no, I, no, would, I agree that. While I, I would I would invest obviously in the military. I'm not saying you know let's abolish the IDF. But I would invest much more in thinking and in executing a strategy that is beyond the military strategy, and seeks to position Iran in its quote unquote proper place in the region. Uh, as opposed to trying to overthrow the regime, trying to uh, only fight it and push back against its malicious activities and so on, which essentially Israel and most American administrations and, and, uh, and others have been trying to do. I think this is an exercise in futility. Iran is not going anywhere. Iran is a regional power, a growing regional power, will continue to be so. With the new alignment or realignment, global realignment between the Americans, the Europeans on the one hand, the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, and others on the other, there is a new reality that we need to face. And it needs, I hope, the government and the cabinet will take the time to rethink their strategy and to try and come up with a strategy that uh, I would even use the word respect, respects Iran regional role and tries to uh, create new rules of the game that will allow Israel and Iran not to, uh, or I, perhaps not to fight each other completely is too ambitious, but to uh, um, uh, release the, or sorry, to uh, uh, lower the level of friction and uh, to negotiate either directly or via a third party and come, uh, come up with certain arrangements that will uh, give both parties more of their interests than, than is available simply by military means. And the direct question there, direct answer to your question about the military investment is that both history shows, and I think this will also be the future, that it's a false choice. Israel will, will invest in both and will increase the budget. And I, if I were in a position to recommend, I wouldn't recommend it. But politicians usually uh, go with the flow, tend to uh, um, sacrifice future generations uh, in order to uh, satisfy present needs. And this will probably what will happen. Uh, we will have an increased uh, defense budget and even though it's already too big. Iran, do you, do you remember in the history a raw nation that someone respected and allowed it to go to this world, to, to whatever they wanted to go, and it really worked? I, I, I think that call, looking in the history... I wouldn't call when Iran we, a rogue nation. Okay. Uh, Ruben, um, you uh, have a long experience, as do Duran and uh, Gershon and Iran, in uh, meeting your American counterparts when they come here for joint planning or you go over there um, on semi-annual uh, uh, events. Uh, do they really believe that it is possible to um, run the region by remote control over the horizon? Or are they simply following orders because um, the um, role of the civilians as supervising the military is so embedded in the uh, American political uh, tradition? I don't think they have a concept of doing it in remote control. I think it's a uh, open-eyed view of the situation here. Understanding, and we're talking Iran now, 
not first place. Of course, they have Russia and Russia, as they said locally, China long-term strategic. Iran is a problem regionally, and I think they understand, as we do, and respect Iran as a you know, formidable rival with long-term aspirations. They have long-term patience and resilience, no less than we do. They're not going anywhere, as Iran said. And uh, they understand that, that we have to uh, do full-spectrum dominance, as we Israelis believe, in intelligence, cyber capabilities, building kinetic strikes, formidable threats also that the Iranians know. And they know it's not something we can win tomorrow. I think what I see is boots on the ground doing it. By the way, all the collaboration they do with Israel, and they don't do it only to help Israel. They do it because Israeli technology and know-how, and the fact that we are here, of course, augments American capabilities, and together we give a good fight to the Iranians. If the Iranians would look back, what a decade now, to everything they have done and everything we have done, they would probably calculate failure, or I would say really total failure. It's almost miserable what they succeeded because we negate their capabilities, take out their capabilities in Syria, all these mysterious things happening around Tehran. As former prime minister and future prime minister Netanyahu said, we know everything. It used to be a secret to say this. He said, we know everything. Everything you do, everything you think, we know. And yet they chose... Those, those uh, modest Israelis. Yeah. And, you know, and you know me personally that I like modesty, yet we are at the cutting edge in cyber capabilities, drones, intelligence, cutting edge. So bottom line, when they try to attack us and we are now at war, it's not like we're talking about a future war, we are now at war. Exactly. They are attacking us on all fronts, cyber, north, south, everywhere, trying to kill Israelis as we speak. And we thwart them and we negate them and we take out their capabilities. It's almost miserable what they're doing. Yet the future war that will happen will be devastating. And we'll have hundreds and thousands of rockets hitting here. There's one point I wanted to make about the big issue we talked about before, the difference between nuclear and not nuclear. Nuclear is existential. That's talking about an existential threat to Israel. As we speak now, no existential threat to Israel. It won't be pleasant, as Gershon will always preach. No external existential threat. No, Iran cannot annihilate Israel. And as Gershon told me and taught me, he's my rabbi and teacher, <laughs> you know, all right, 2,000 rockets will hit here. Hundreds of Israelis will die. Very sad. Will that bring us to our knees? Will we give up the Zionist dream? Of course not. That's why... We have to balance both issues and build the capabilities, negate what we can, have good intelligence, but also try to do everything we can to prevent them from having a capability that will be existential for us, that could wipe us out. So we started uh, our discussion uh, with congratulations to uh, President Biden um, on entering his ninth uh, decade. And um, he has two years left uh, in his term, and he's facing uh, three presidents. President Xi, whom we mentioned, President Putin, and former President Trump, at least right now, um, as uh, a potential Republican rival, or if one may say, re-rival. Um, but right now, um, Biden is going to hold power only in the executive branch and in one of um, the houses of Congress, um, the Senate. Do you believe that it will have any impact, regardless of the government that we are going to see in Israel sometime, um, on Israel's national security? Yes, yes, of course. If I'm just trying to understand what happened in China and making the implication to the situation in Israel, uh, John Sullivan was uh, in anxiety. He declared his anxiety about losing the status quo of Taiwan. 
Jake Sullivan. Yes, what was it happened now with the meeting with Chinese uh, president is not to create a new status quo or to keep the status quo. It is an effort to create a kind of equilibrium. It is something else from status quo. The same about the situation of Israel. If uh, Israel will understand that we cannot change the status quo, but we can change something in the new equilibrium, then it can be... Vis-a-vis Iran, you mean? Vis-a-vis Iran, vis-a-vis a Palestinian uh, struggle, uh, then it can go uh, together with American interests. If not, we will have uh, a conflict. Moving. First, Israel is aligned strategically with the United States, and that will be in the foreseeable future. Interesting to look at our good neighbors, the Egyptians, What they've been doing now is, in a way, shifting to China very strongly. Still flying Apaches and F-16s, yes. Okay, they still have an alliance with the United States. But they are pretty much showing us that, no, we understand who the great power is going to be now, and we're aligning with them in all... The wave of the future. Absolutely. You see what they're doing. It's incredible. In Israel, there's no question about that. I also think it's interesting, it's sad to me, that all world politics now are very personal. right? Trump, Biden, Netanyahu... Uh, of course, Putin, she, she, uh, President Xi. Why is it so personalized? Theoretically, it should be nations, peoples, long-term strategy, especially, why are you smiling, Gershon? Especially in democracies, we would wish that once in a while, like in the UK, she's gone. Okay, now we have another one. He's just the leader of the pack, right? He's equal among all of us. But that's not the way it's going. It's like we have these world dominators. Is Biden on the rise or, on, or going down? Interesting to me that coming up to the midterm elections in the States, there was a feeling as if, that's it, we're losing the United States, and they're pulling out, and they're weak, right? and he's old. But all of a sudden now, Relati- like they're, relatively they're, old. now they're on the rise again. He met President Xi, America's back. I wouldn't go to that great extreme. Go on, your view. Well, you know, this is life. I mean, people are looking at leaders. People are referring to leaders. When we talk about history, we talk about the leaders. I mean, this, this is life. So I, th- I think probably it would uh, continue. But I agree with Ruben that from a strategic point of view, long-term strategic point of view, I don't see that um, there would be a huge change in the in the coming future. Um, we really have to look at it in, as a long uh, trend. And, uh, and although we saw the documents and we saw the emphasis about uh, China and, and Russia, and so I think from Israel point of view, what we see in, in, uh, uh, talking about the relations with the United States and so on, I see that we are strengthening the relations. I see that the situation in the Middle East is becoming even better strategically uh, talking about... That's, that's very good the, news. Famous last words in 12 <laughs> seconds. Around its the young. existential threat both for the U.S. and for Israel, as you alluded to before, is not has very little to do with what we discussed. It is not external, it is internal. Both democracies are under threat. This is the main challenge of President Biden and whoever may or may not be his successor. And this is the main challenge of this upcoming Israeli government. And the externalities are just a function uh, of that. Eran Etzion, Doron Gavish, Ruven Ben Shalom, and Gershon Akoen. Thank you very much. This has been Powers in Play, and we will be back uh, with another edition from TV7 News Israel. For the time being, Shalom from Jerusalem.
Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.